Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you'd like to talk about and discuss from a biblical perspective. The number to call is 303 303- 690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. You can call us with your prayer requests. We'd love to pray for you here on the air. You can also call us with your questions about the Bible. If there's something you've been reading and has struggling to understand, maybe there's something that seems like an apparent contradiction in the Bible, you'd like to talk about that with us and get some answers to those questions you've had about Jesus and the Bible. That's what this show is here to do. We'd also love to answer any questions you have about you know, how a situation you're facing in your life or in culture and what the Bible has to say about those situations. So give us a call, 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Again, the text line 720-336-0897. We want to welcome those of you who are listening in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM. Welcome to the program. You're hearing the show live today. It's a Friday, August 27th, and so you're hearing the show live today. Um, welcome to those of you who are tuning in on Grace FM, as well as those of you who are tuning in online on our app and on our website, gracefm.com. So glad to have you with us, and you're hearing the show live today. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests. Uh, we also want to greet those of you who are listening on our sister stations on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. You may know this, and many of you may be tuning on, in on these stations, but we recently started airing this program on several different stations that air throughout, basically from Amarillo, Texas, all the way over to Florida and everywhere in between. And I just got a message this week from somebody in Memphis, Tennessee, saying that she had heard this show on the radio uh, and really, you know, was blessed by it, was encouraged and, and loved uh, the great biblical teaching on her local station, as well as this show with the question and answer format. So, hey, wherever you're tuning in from today, we're so glad you're with us. And I'd love to hear from you. I'm actually pretty excited to meet some of you, you know, meeting you over the, over the airwaves, over the phone as well. Um, from some of these new stations. We had some callers last time I hosted from Florida, and we've had some from Texas as well since I've been hosting these last couple of weeks since we went live on the new stations. And so we want to welcome you who are tuning in in the southern states of the United States. Welcome to the program. So glad that you're with us. Please do give us a call. Just a reminder, though, that you who are listening on the East Coast and in the South, the area around Tennessee as well, you're hearing this program on a one-week delay. So we want you to just keep that in mind, just know about it. But we, w we don't want that to hinder you from calling in uh, with your prayer requests and with your questions about the Bible. We want to answer those. We want to pray for you. 
And then I think that those of you who listen on the one-week delay, you have a really cool opportunity, and that is that because you know when your question is going to uh, air exactly one week after you called in, that gives you an opportunity. You have one week to invite and to tell and to spread the word to your friends and family and coworkers that, hey, I'm going to be on this station at such and such a time. You should tune in. And that is a really cool way for you to invite people to start listening to that local radio station in your area. And they're not only going to listen to that show, hopefully it'll become something that they tune into in the future. Maybe they're not even aware that that station exists in their area, and they're going to become aware of it. They're going to start listening to it. God's going to start working in their hearts as they hear his word, as it goes out in power by the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing about conviction and and encouragement, doing all the great things that God does through his word by the Spirit. And so we encourage you to get the word out. We also say that for our, our local listeners here in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM and all of our listeners online. We have, I got a map here of where people are tuning in from online today. I want to welcome those of you who are listening in the Bay Area of California, as well as those up in, it looks like, is that British Columbia or Washington? Pretty close there on the border. We've got some listeners in Oregon, up and down the Rockies, into New Mexico, and in Colorado, uh, Kansas City representing, as well as Tennessee, and it looks like Atlanta, Georgia. We've got listeners in South Africa today as well. So welcome to all of you who are tuning in. So good to have you with us, and we do encourage you, spread the word in, in whatever way. Maybe it's online, maybe it's by word of mouth. We want other people to know about these shows and the stations that you listen on so they can start tuning in, hearing God's word, and be transformed as they do so. So a big hello to everybody who's tuning in, wherever you're tuning in from. Uh, just a few words about myself before we go to our calls, but let me give you the numbers to call. We still have all open lines right now. The number to call is 303 690 That's 303 690 Or you can text us at 720-336-0897 for the text line. Just a few words about myself before we go to our callers. Uh, my name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And our church, uh, for those of you who are in the Colorado area, if you're within driving distance of Longmont, we'd love to have you come out. Uh, consider this my invitation to you to come out and worship with us this Sunday. We are currently studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. You know, that's what we do at Calvary Chapel, and our church is a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church. That's what we do at Calvary Chapel. We love to study through the Bible, and so we've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians uh, recently at our church. This week we get to chapter 5. It's a really interesting chapter because it's a chapter which is about church discipline. And I think one of the things that people think when they, they hear about church discipline, I think on the one hand, some people have heard about it, but they've never seen it done. Other people might have seen it done poorly, and other people might wonder, they might even say, you know, this is what's wrong with church and Christians, is that they need to just mind their own business, right? Why do they got to worry about telling other people what to do, kicking them out if they don't do what they say they should do, etc.? And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how does the love of God fit in with the topic of church discipline. And what we're going to see is that church discipline is, first and foremost, an act of love that seeks to save, protect, and— Oh, I've got a third one. I'm going to have to pull up my notes real quick. I forgot what my third point is. Save, protect, and—where is it? Restore. There it is. Save, protect, and restore. I'm going to talk about that this Sunday. Love to have you call— Come and join us for that. We're open in person. We have three in-person services every Sunday morning. 
8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. We have children's ministry for your whole family to be able to come and worship with us. Uh, children's ministry is at the 9.30 and 11 a.m. services. Um, we would love for you to join us. If you're within driving distance or within our area, come come down the highway. We're really close to I-25, so we're actually like right between I-25 and County Line Road, just on the north side of Highway 119. You can actually see our building from Highway 119, which is the main highway from I-25 coming into Longmont and then down into Boulder. So we'd love to have you join us. We're, again, conveniently located for those of you who are driving from other communities, and we'd love to have you uh, be with us. We're going to be, like I said, talking about church discipline and the love of God and how those fit together. Um, and so maybe some of you out there, you have questions about this topic of church discipline. Maybe you have stories to share. Um, maybe you, you want to hear some stories, because one of the things I'm going to do this Sunday is, like I said, I think many people wonder, is this something churches actually do? And, and it is, absolutely. Uh, biblical churches do this. Um, I've had to do it. Now, I don't enjoy doing it. I would hope that I would never have to do it, just like a, a father hopes to never have to discipline their children. But it's actually part of, part of being a spiritual leader. And actually in that, that chapter, chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, right before it gets to chapter 5, where he talks about church discipline, uh, in chapter 4, Paul says, I am your spiritual father. And then he speaks to them as a father and says, hey, you know, you guys are messing up in this area and you need to correct it. And so we'll be talking about that. I'll share some stories about um, times in which I've seen church discipline done well, and I've seen people respond, and I've seen other people uh, respond poorly. And I think there's some, some really good points in here for us to understand that church discipline is an act of love, both the love of God and the love of believers that seeks to, uh, let's see if I can get it right this time, save, protect, and restore. So we're going to be talking about that this Sunday. We'd love to have you join us. You can also join us online if you're not in our direct area. And you can join us online at whitefieldschurch.com. It's whitefieldschurch.com. Our physical address is 2950 Colorful Avenue. So 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont, Colorado. You can also find directions just by Googling us, or you can uh, go to our website, whitefieldschurch.com, and find us there. So that's who I am. That's what I'm about. You can hear me here on Grace FM uh, three, no, sorry, twice a day, twice a day at 9.30 a.m., and at 2.30 p.m. So 9.30 a.m., 2.30 p.m. You can also hear me Sundays at 1 o'clock p.m. And for you guys who like podcasts out there, I have a podcast called Theology for the People. Go ahead and search that up. Put that in your uh, podcast feed, and I'd love it if you, every now and then you would uh, check out some of our episodes. Just came out with a new one yesterday about biblical interpretation. So the idea is Theology for the People. We're putting the cookies on the shelf where the kids can reach them when it comes to the topic of theology. We'd love it if you'd check that out as well. All right, with no further ado, let's get to our callers. We've got uh, Bihari in Alabama. Hi, Bihari. Welcome to the program. Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right, thank you. Hey there, you're live on the air. Yes, sir. Hello? Hello, you're live on the air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to um, feel... Um, if that because I got a, a vision or a dream. Oh, it seems like a vision somehow, and I just want to know if that's possible for seeing, like you saw, seeing the universe. It's an all white universe, like I'm standing in front of a king, mm -hmm. and and he I power over the whole universe, and that was the vision. 
And yep. like that's where he want you to be, or he want me to be. He want us to be. Oh, that's the vision. Okay, that's hey, want to be like he want us to be with him. Mm-hmm. So whatever you're doing, he he gonna forgive you, and you got to be with him. <laughs> I think about I've been wrong. And then another time, I went to the store. I was at Home Depot, one of them store buying stuff, and somebody come up behind me and tell me to leave these people alone. And I, you, I never saw this person before. I never have no conversation with this person. I never, I don't even know who he is. I come up behind me and said, "Leave these people alone," because I used to tell people about God, you know. So I was, I still do. So somebody came up behind me and said, "Leave these people alone." So I said, "Who is?" They're trying to leave me people alone. I, I don't talk to nobody. I'm just trying to tell people who God is because he heals me. So because he heals me, I'm trying. I know he heals me. That I don't have no question about because I was in pain in my joint, my head, my shoulder, my leg, my foot, mm-hmm. everywhere. Like whatever they call arthritis, and it's totally gone. So oh, praise the Lord. Well, well, let me answer your question. I've got uh, full lines right now, so I want to get to our other colors as well. Um, to answer your question, can you have a vision about God? Um, yeah, absolutely. The Bible is is full of stories about people who had visions about God. And um, here's what you need to know. Whatever vision you have, you need to test that against the Bible, because God's a God of order, not a God of chaos. And he doesn't say one thing in his word and then say a different or contradictory thing by his spirit, let's say, giving you a dream, etc. It sounds to me like the dream you had was, was in line with what the Bible says. So I think, you know, when we test all things, as we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, right, we don't despise prophecy or other spiritual gifts, but we test all things and we hold fast to that which is true. So how do we test things? Well, we got to test them against some kind of standard, and the standard, that's actually where we get the word canon, which is the term that we use to describe the Bible. And the word canon literally means standard or ruler. And, you know, if you want to know how big something is, you measure it against a standard, as in a ruler. And that's what the Bible is for us. So we can take anything and we can see how it measures up against the Bible. And so when you have a vision like that, All you do is you go over to the Bible, you see if the elements of that vision contradict the Bible or if they they align with the Bible. If they align, then I say that you say, thank you, Lord, for this vision. You know, I want to be encouraged by it. I want to understand that you're speaking to me. But we understand that there, there can also be other things that influence our dreams. So that means that not every time you dream is it a dream that's inspired by God. So that's a really important point to remember. Uh, you know, your dream, it reminds me of a famous vision from the Bible, Isaiah chapter 6. And here, I'll just read it to you real quickly. Uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim, each with six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And they called to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory and the foundations of the threshold shook. And I said, woe is me, I am lost, I am a man of unclean lips. And then he goes on and it says this, that the, one of the seraphim flew to him, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs of the altar. 
And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. So all of that to say this, that look at what that dream did to Isaiah. Well, there was a dream or a vision. It actually says it's a vision. Um, so what did that vision do to Isaiah? On the one hand, it caused him to be humble. On the other hand, it caused him to praise the Lord. Uh, it also caused him to surrender his life to God and say, God, I am yours. I am a penny in your pocket. You spend me where you want. And God said, okay, I will. So as long as that's the case, man, if, the, if your dreams, visions, things that you're wondering, are they from God? Well, what do they produce in your life? And do they line up with the Bible? Those are the two big questions to be asking yourself. Hey, thanks for your call, and God bless you. Thanks so much for that testimony, too, of how God healed you of your arthritis. Praise the Lord for that. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. We've got, with that one open line, give us a call, 303-690-3000. Let's go to our next caller, Katie in Colorado. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the program. Hi, Katie. Hi. Welcome to the program. Thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What's up? Um, um, I'm just, I just have a prayer request for myself um, because I've been, I've been sick since a couple days after the Fourth of July. I, um, it took me a long time to, like two weeks, and then they told me I had pneumonia in my left upper lobe, and then this went on and on, and then I felt really good for about three weeks. And I started having a high fever again yesterday, and I just went in and had some chest x-rays and tests, and they said, now the, the pneumonia is in both lobes, and it's like kind of all over, and um, I'm just kind of discouraged, and I just need prayer, because, you know, I know the Lord is the great physician, and um, ultimately, He can heal me. Yeah. Let's pray for you. So, Lord, we lift up Katie to you. Thank you for her calling in. And we do ask, Lord, uh, all of us who are listening, we agree in the name of Jesus, Lord, in asking for her healing from pneumonia. Lord, we ask that you would cause her lungs to be cleaned out of fluid, of any kind of uh, toxic stuff that's in her lungs and in her body. And Lord, we pray that you would bring her to full health. Uh, Lord, we do, we do pray for her to be fully well. And whether you do that through doctors or you just do it through a miracle, Lord, we're open to whatever you want to do, but we do come before you as your children, and we ask that you would heal your daughter, Katie, Lord, for, for your sake and for her sake, too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You bet. God bless you. I'm praying you feel better. Give us a call when you when you get better so we can praise the Lord with you, okay? Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air today. Well, with that, we have two open lines, so now's a great time to call in with your questions about the Bible, with your questions about things going on in your life that you'd like some biblical perspective on. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720 720- 336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Christina in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Christina. Welcome to the program. Hi. What can we do for um, you? 
I was in a physically and verbally abusive relationship for a year, and I removed myself from the relationship, although I am seven months pregnant with his child. Um, I've forgiven him many times and given him opportunities to get help and change his behavior. And my question is, we are called to love and hold no record of wrongs, and I do forgive him, but when the verbal abuse continues or him slandering me to people and on social media, how does forgiveness and holding someone accountable for their actions tie together? Mm-hmm. And then also, I kind of have like a conviction. Um, I wouldn't say conviction, but I don't have full peace um, knowing if it's wrong of me to continue and try and co-parent with someone who's abusive mm-hmm. or like how we're supposed to respond as someone who's a, like how I'm supposed to respond as someone who's a Christian. Yeah, no, that's a great question, Christina, and really one that I think a lot of people wonder about because, you know, we hear a lot of things about what it means to forgive and um, it can be confusing in situations like this. So let me let me try and be simple and clear with you about this. Um, number one, there's a really big difference between forgiveness and trust. Okay, so forgiveness means that you're no longer going to hold this thing against that person in the sense of you're not going to hold it in your hand to throw it back in their face, right? It's no longer going to be um, something that you use to, I guess, accuse them or bring against them. On the other hand, right? So on the one hand, we hold no record of wrongs in that sense. But in another sense, we do need to make wise decisions, not only for yourself, but here's the other thing. You know, God cares very much about the protection of the vulnerable. And guess what? You're pregnant with a child. You're going to be a single mother. Uh, Not only are you in a vulnerable situation, but um, your child is going to be in a very vulnerable situation just by nature of the fact of being a child. So my advice to you is that uh, if this is a, a physically and verbally abusive situation, uh, I, I don't think that you need to feel obligated to have your child in that situation. In fact, it might be the actual right and God-honoring thing to do might very well be to not have your daughter in a relationship where you're co-parenting with that person. And so uh, I know that's, that's difficult, and it's hard for me, right? I'm just a guy uh, on the radio who doesn't know the details of your situation. But I would tell you this, that forgiving someone doesn't mean that you should put yourself or anyone else into a situation where they are endangered um, or where, and where they're going to be a victim of abuse. That's not honoring to God either. And so you can forgive that person, uh, and you can say, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm going to have peace in my heart. I'm not going to hold this against you. But I also need to take into consideration, right? Like, um, you know, I wouldn't put my child in, um, in a pen with a boa constrictor, even though I like the boa constrictor, right? Like, even though I may not hold anything negative against the boa constrictor, I know what they do and what they're capable of and what they've done in the past. And so I need to act in the best interest of my child. And that doesn't mean, you know, and I would tell that child, hey, look, you know what? Your father hurt me. And I chose that for your protection, uh, we're not going to have a relationship with him. Now, I don't stay up at night uh, being bitter 
towards him or being angry or, um, you know, ruminating over these things that happened to me. I have released these things, and yet I need to factor them into the equation of what's in the best interest of my child and myself uh, because this person has a history of abuse. And so um, I really would, yeah, advise you to pray about this, and I would, I would advise you in the direction of seriously considering not co-parenting. Yeah, I've prayed a lot, but I mean, we don't always hear from God when we want to. Um, I, w- I wouldn't be dealing with the physical abuse. It would just be verbal abuse that I continue to deal with. And so basically that's not God honoring to still try and co-parent with someone who is verbally abusive. Well, I don't think that you should be putting yourself in a situation with somebody who is that. Now, see, here's the thing that's difficult about verbal abuse, right, is that it's somewhat subjective, right? Somebody might say, you know, anybody can accuse somebody of that, but then I don't know the details of the situation. I really don't want you to tell us on the air right now the details of that situation. Um, But I would say, you know, you need to really consider, is this going to be something um, which is... an abusive situation that your child's going to grow up in. And I, I would just advise anyone against uh, continuing to put themselves in an abusive situation. In fact, there's a, there's a theologian named um, Wayne Grudem, and he recently came out, you know, saying that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when it talks about abandonment, um, that abandonment includes abuse. And, you know, based on his analysis of the text and the language. It's a pretty interesting argument. I've read about it. He's a very conservative theologian in the sense that he's only concerned with what the Bible says and doesn't say. And he would put that in that same category. And so, you know, that, that's a tough one. I, I think that sometimes people use the term abuse um, a little too flippantly. And so I would just advise you um, to be to be very uh, sincere and honest before God with yourself over whether this is abuse. And if it is, then I would advise you not to um, continue in an abusive relationship. Now listen, the other part of this is, as we're talking about, I mentioned earlier, the idea of church discipline. The idea of this is not to um, punish him, and it's, it's, not, it's to protect your child. But here's the other part. The hope is that at some point, you know, you keep the door open to the idea what if he is just radically transformed, right? What if God does something amazing in his life, transforms him into a completely different person? Then I would say, I would, I would advise you to keep the door open to future, future interactions. Okay. Let me pray for you, because that sounds like a very difficult situation. Yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's pray for you right now. Um, Heavenly Father, we lift up Christina to you. She needs a lot of wisdom, Lord, to know um, what she should do in this situation. Um, should she should continue um, to keep in contact with this person? Should she, um, moving forward, I mean, should this person have a role in his daughter's life or his, his um, future child's life? Lord, we pray that you give wisdom because we need you Holy Spirit, to show us the way. And so, Lord, I pray for Christina that she would know exactly what it is that you want her to do, to do right by her child and to do uh, right by herself and, and before you. 
So, Lord, give her wisdom, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You bet. God bless you. Well, we've come up to our mid-show break. You're listening to Calvary Live. My name's Nick Cady, pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We've got two open lines. Uh, we're going to go to our mid-show break right now. Right after the break, we'll get to Joseph and Wheat Ridge. Um, but for now, uh, during the break, give us a call. We'll get you on right afterwards. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us, 720-336-0897. We'll be right back in two minutes' time. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and with your prayer requests, we'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to pray for you. So give us a call. Number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Joseph in Wheat Ridge. Hi, Joseph. Welcome to the program. Hello, Pastor Katie. Good to hear your voice. So, um, you know, um, Romans chapter 7, um, verses 7 through 26, but also really focus on verses 14 to 26. You know, my Bible uh, labels that the law and sin, and it's like the Apostle Paul saying basically, um, you know, uh, he does things he does not want to do. And the things he wants to do, he does not do because of his flesh, generally. So I, I don't want to say that's like an excuse for me to sin or for a Christian to sin, but what is Paul trying to explain there? Yeah, Paul's trying to explain the difficulty he that he's facing because he, we read the Bible in context, right? And the context actually begins all the way back in chapter 5, where Paul is explaining the dual nature that we have as human beings and yet those who have been redeemed by Jesus. So he, he basically starts with this whole point about how in Adam, that because Adam sinned, Adam was our champion. He was our representative for the human race. And Adam fell into sin. And therefore, all of us, along with Adam, have fallen into sin. It gets to the really important question. Well, okay, Adam messed up. Why does that affect me? Right? He answers that in chapter 5. And he says, because of what Adam did, we have all, the world has changed. And we, as descendants of Adam, are not who we were originally intended to be in the sense that though we still bear the image of God, that image is now broken and corrupted and we have a nature that is inclined towards sin and we are born under the curse of sin and death. So then he goes on in chapter 6 to say this, but if you are in Jesus, then here's what happens then you have died to that old nature. You're no longer who you were in the natural state, right? As a child of wrath, as Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2. 
but now you have become a child of God because you have been crucified with Christ through faith in him and you have been resurrected to new life along with him. And that's what happens inside of you when you put your faith in Jesus. And so the question is, and he says this in chapter uh, 6, verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its passions. What he's saying is the power of sin, both to send you to hell and to control your physical body, has been broken in Jesus. And he says, and yet here's the paradox, that though we have been redeemed by Jesus, we still wrestle with sin. We're still tempted to sin. And um, we do still often sin, even though uh, to be a Christian now is to no longer desire sin. It's to be a new creation. I guess you could put it like this. A sheep and a pig are two completely different creatures. And yet, they both sometimes fall in the mud. The difference is that the pig dreams about the mud. Their goal in life is to find some mud and run into it and do a belly flop in it and roll around in it. When they go to bed at night, they go to bed dreaming about and planning on how they're going to find some mud tomorrow. Whereas the sheep might fall in the mud, but it's certainly not his goal, his desire. There might be times when he finds himself in the mud, but that's not what he's seeking after as his desire for his life. And so that's what Paul's talking about there. And he's saying, so here I am. I'm a person who's been redeemed by Jesus, and yet sometimes I still struggle with sin. And though I, in theory, want to live for God, there are some times when I give in to temptation and when I sin. And that's why he says at the end, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of sin or this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus our Lord. And then he says this, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the whole point right there. He's building up to this thing. He's saying we still struggle, but he's saying if we're in Jesus, then he even forgives the sins that we commit after we've been saved. Okay, so I suppose that means that before we're Christians, if you will, we do not have the opportunity to repent. Would that be a correct statement? We do not have the opportunity to repent. So, um, no, I think that we we can repent. Here, here's what I, here's the question you're getting into. I think I know where you're going with this. Is just that uh, some people would say that until you are regenerated, you cannot repent. Okay, so here's what they would say: Does the regenerating work of God does it take place before you believe? And the reason you're able to believe and repent is because God has already regenerated you. Or are you regenerated because in an act of faith, you trusted in Jesus? This is a big debate that that people have. Um, I, I would say this, it kind of doesn't matter. And here's why. Because here's what you as a human being are called to do, is repent. This is what God calls you to do. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. And we can get into these hypothetical arguments of, okay, but does a person, you know, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know, but at the end of the day, you need to, you, you're either, you know, you, you need to make a decision to repent. That's a, that's a conscious decision that you make. Um, and that's a conscious decision that every person is called to make. And so, you know, again, we could get into the debate of, 
of that thing, but I don't think the Bible gives a clear answer. Well, so this, this second uh, topic, if you will, um, I enjoy Sunday school in my church. I guess I, that means I enjoy Sunday school, if you will, is Sunday school, if you will, uh, uh, how you say, uh, a man-made uh, tradition, or is it biblically, biblically based? There's no, nothing in the Bible that mandates Sunday school, um, but yeah, we could put it this way. It's a man-made tradition. But there are a lot of man-made traditions, right? You know that Christmas is a man-made tradition. And so on the one hand, we don't need Christmas. Like Christmas is, is not like a holiday that's mandated in the Bible, not even as much as like Easter and the resurrection of Jesus is like an actual thing that we're celebrating. Christmas is actually, you know, it's very unlikely that Jesus was actually born on December 25th. And so if we celebrate Christmas, that's a man-made tradition. But is it a good one? That's really the question. Uh, some man-made traditions are good, and some are not. Um, our goal should not be to uh, kick out all the all the man-made traditions. Um, we we should have traditions, right, that that honor Jesus and actually help us in the process of discipleship. And so, yeah, with Sunday school, no, you don't have to have it. You can have your kids in in the main worship service. You can have them in Sunday school. Uh, you can have uh, a completely different form. That's beyond, you know, you can do C, which is none of the above, right? We can do something completely different. What is mandated is that we teach our children in the ways of the Lord. Um, but how we do that is kind of up to us. Well, I appreciate what uh, uh, Pastor Taylor out of Aurora said. He said, if you're a parent, your, your goal in life is to make sure your children go to heaven, not if you're feeding them or, you know, making them sure that they're, in sports is to make sure they go to heaven. So that means at home, at home, <laughs> you tell them about Christ at home. <laughs> I agree. Ed's a wise man. I'm, I'm 100% in agreement with him. Okay. Well, thank you, Pastor Katie. Have a blessed week. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Joseph. Thanks for calling in. All right. God bless you. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests. Give us a call at 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to James in Greeley, Colorado. Hi, James. Welcome to the program. Hi. How are you guys? Doing great. Great. I'm calling for, well, prayer requests for sure, but um, also some advice if I can get it. Okay. Um, I've had a friend for like three years, um, kind of like a brother. He'd do anything for me. Really great guy. Um, we've kept in contact. I was looking for a way to uh, spell his name, so I put in his name and his city, and he came up on the uh, sex offender list, which is something I had no idea of. Um found out that it was with a, a minor and it was solicitation for things you should ask for and uh, he's been convicted of it and now it's not the same guy that I know at all and I need to confront him about it. I've got grandchildren that are around him and so I'm worried about that and I really uh, I know God is the God of second chances. I'm not his judge. Um, I'm just looking for counsel on how to handle this delicate situation and uh, protect my family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
my first piece of advice to you, I, I, I have some people that I know who are on the sex offender registry. And here's what, what has really struck me is the various different attitudes of people about that. I'm sure no one, I'm sure it's incredibly embarrassing. It makes their life very difficult. Um, they're probably worried that people will find out because they're, they know that they'll lose friends. On the other hand, here's what I've seen. I've seen with one person, he had a real sense of like entitlement that like, hey, I've done my time and now I should be allowed to live just like anybody else, right? Like he, he even thought that he should be allowed to work with uh, children in the youth group. And here's the crazy part is that he had actually offended against kids as a youth leader. Now, this was in a different state, completely different situation. But um, my advice to him was, hey, you need to understand that um, because of what you've done, that kind of precludes you from being in contact, not just legally, but even just, that's just wisdom. But not only that, it's also just wisdom for you to be above reproach, right? Like, if you've done that, you know, you you need to show people that, hey, you know, I don't ever want to be even accused of this ever again. I'm just going to, you know, I made some mistakes, and now as a result, I'm going to live differently. Um, on the other hand, I, I've known other people who are on the registry who did things. They had so much regret over it, and they repented, and the repentance wasn't just saying, okay, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. The repentance actually meant turning and changing and acting and living differently uh, for the rest of their life. And uh, I find that those who um, who don't do that, who don't do the latter version, they're in um, they're in a much more dangerous position um, as far as reoffending. Those the people who are really humble, who are pretty upfront about it, um, tend to be the ones who um, don't reoffend. So, uh, James, I would just tell you this: I would I would talk to your friend and say, hey, that this is an opportunity for you to minister to him. It's also an opportunity for, for you to have a conversation. Your relationship's going to get a lot deeper, a lot faster as a result of you finding this out. And my guess is you're probably not the first person who's ever found this out about him. This is probably something he deals with fairly often. And so I would tell you to, to talk to your friend and say, hey, I um, stumbled across this. Here's how I came across it. I wasn't, you know, out there trying to do research on you. I just found this out about you, and let's talk about it. Tell me a little bit about what happened. Tell me what it's been like coming out of it. And, uh, and tell me, do you still struggle in any way? Is there anything that I can help you with as a friend? And then I would tell him the good news about Jesus, you know, that it's not just that he's done his time before uh, the state, but that he has um, hope in Jesus to be forgiven before God. Here's what some of these guys who have done these things, they they really struggle with believing that they can actually be forgiven. Um, and I would, I would encourage him that there is no sin that cannot be forgiven except for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is resisting the Holy Spirit's drawing you to Jesus. And so I would encourage him in that. I would encourage him in the hope of heaven. And I would, you know, I would be careful with your family. Um, but if you're around and it's a setting where you know, you feel comfortable, I would, I would say, you know, sometimes there can be restorative actions. I would just be cautious and, um, 
you know, and a lot of that's going to be based on where he's at in his, in his life and in his heart. Okay. Thank you very much. Can you pray for me? Absolutely. Let's pray for you. Heavenly Father, we pray for James. We ask that you give him a lot of grace and wisdom to reach out to this friend of his and to have this conversation. We pray that his friend would be receptive to it. And Lord, we pray that his friend would receive your grace. Lord, that he would put his trust in you, Jesus, and that you would forgive him of his sins and you'd receive him to yourself. And we pray that you'd use James in that process. Lord, give him wisdom with what are the boundaries to draw in regard to his family, that he would keep them safe as well. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank All you. Right. God bless you, James. Thanks for calling in. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Hey, listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Taking your calls and texts live on the air, the number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Rob in Longmont, Colorado. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the program. Yo, hey, Pastor Nick. Um, you know, recently a friend of mine has been trying to convince me that um, when Christ returns, that it's going to be a Christianized world. And I haven't found any scriptures, or he hasn't given me any, that really indicate that. But that's led me to wonder about the millennium. And the only thing that I've kind of determined at this point is that it's not a literal thousand years. So is this supposed to be before or after Jesus returns? And should I even be that concerned about it? Yeah. So to your friend's, you know, idea, there are some people who have these theories, right? That uh, and I've, I've written on, on my blog. Let me go over there real quick and just pull up something I wrote on millennialism and... Uh, we can talk about that. Okay, I'm just pulling this up real quick. I have, um, like I said, I've written on this topic, and I gave kind of an outline of a couple different views on millennialism. So let me pull those up real quick. Um, where is that? Okay, three views on millennialism. Here we go. Premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism. Let me just give you a quick rundown on those, then I'll answer your question directly. Premillennialism says that that Christ will return pre or before the millennium, which is the Latin word for a thousand years. So premillennialists understand that the millennium will be a future time of great peace and justice, a literal, in this case, they would believe literal thousand year period, which will begin when Christ returns to reign on earth as a physically present king. Postmillennialism says this, Christ will return after that thousand-year period, postmillennialists think that before Christ returns to the earth, the gospel will spread and triumph on earth so powerfully that society will be transformed and peace and justice will reign on earth for a thousand years, after which Christ will return for the final judgment. So this sounds like this is the view that is held by your friend. I'll tell you this. Interestingly, this is a view that was also held by Martin Luther. Martin Luther believed that the millennium began with the Reformation in the early 1500s. Now, I don't personally hold that view. Um, I'm, I'm a premillennialist, but I'll tell you the, the last view here is that amillennialism is uh, that people hold a, a non-literal millennial view, and they believe that the, 
thousand years described in the Revelation, in Revelation 20, is the current present age of the church, and there will be no future millennium before Christ returns for the final judgment. Um, and so, you know, I would say the problem with uh, post-millennialism, like as your friend is describing, is that that's, number one, not what we see happening around us, right? So it's not that the world is becoming more Christianized and, um, and you know, being prepared. Now, this view is also held by some groups. I think YWAM, the founder of YWAM, famously held this view. He called it a kingdom now theology, which essentially meant that it was our job to usher in the kingdom of Jesus and prepare it like a present so that when King Jesus returns, we'll say, hey, here's the thing that we prepared for you. We've prepared your kingdom. Some of the verses they like to use, you know, they'll say, uh, prepare the way of the Lord. In other words, we need to prepare things on earth and make the earth like a Christianized society, like you described, um, in order for Jesus to return, that he cannot or will not return until we have done that work. Now, it, you know, I, I'll tell you a few things that I think uh, show us that this is not the case. I mean, I just think about the book of Revelation. I think about how it describes how in the time of the tribulation, prior to Jesus' return, there will be a great persecution of Christians. You know, furthermore, I think that you can make a case that just as God removed Lot from Sodom, just as God removed Noah and his family from the earth, then in the same way, God will not judge the wicked along with the righteous or judge the righteous with the wicked, but that he'll remove them before that time comes, which is what happens in Revelation. If you take a chronological view of Revelation, which I think we should based on Revelation 1 verse 19, which tells us that Revelation is meant to be read as a unfolding events, um, that that would tell us that, okay, Jesus comes back after a time of great tribulation on the earth in which there's persecution, in which there's death, and there's, you know, kind of pestilence and things like that. So all that to say, um, I just don't think that the uh, kingdom now or post-millennial theology stands on very much footing. The other uh, thing that they'll say is they say that they'll quote these verses from the Old Testament, you know, that say that the, the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth like the water covers the seas. All people will know. Right now we say, to one another, know the Lord, but in that day, everyone will know the Lord. Well, are they, the question is, what is that talking about? Now, I would argue that that's talking about either the millennial kingdom or, more likely, it's talking about the new heavens and the new earth, which is to come. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, amillennialism, mm -hmm. that, um, what do you think about that, that uh, this that it's all happening now. Yeah, I think it just, uh, what's difficult, okay, so here's the difficulty with like the premillennial and postmillennial views, is just that any kind of millennialism that comes up, you have to understand that it's essentially uh, standing, it's like an upside-down pyramid, and the point it's standing on is this one verse in Revelation 20 that says that the Lord will come and reign for a thousand years. But the, the other side of that coin is that we have a verse that says that the Lord's going to reign for a thousand years, right? So on the one hand, somebody might say, well, that's just one verse. But another person would come back and say, okay, but I mean, lots of things are just one verse, right? Like we actually need to pay attention to this verse. Um, so yeah, the amillennial view um, is interesting because 
some forms of amillennialism aren't that different than historic premillennialism, which basically says that the millennium, as many people think about it, is the same as the new heavens and the new earth. The problem is that in Revelation, um, it's distinct from it, right? The millennium happens, and then there are things which happen after the millennium is over. So that's what's so interesting about this whole thing, is that the millennium is described as a period of time which has a start and an end. And at the end of it, Satan is released, and then he's finally bound again. So he's released for a time to tempt the saints, and then he's bound again, and then his final judgment comes after that. So that's why nice. I, I am a millennialist and not an amillennialist. It's because it's described in Revelation as a period of time that has a beginning and an end. So couldn't that beginning be at his first advent or after he ascended and then end with his return? Could that not be a beginning and an end and end? It could be, but here's the reason I struggle with that. And, and even why I struggle with Martin Luther's view that the, the millennium began with the Reformation is because it says that during that time, that thousand years, Satan is bound. And I would just say that um, it doesn't feel like he's bound. It feels like he's still out there. And I'll tell you one more reason why I don't think he's bound, at least like, let's say from, from the ascension, um, because Peter says in his letter, which is written after Jesus' ascension, that Satan is roaming around like a lion, like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. So that doesn't sound like he's bound. Um, so I wouldn't say it can be the ascension. And I would say that I think that Luther just kind of thought that the Reformation, he probably genuinely thought that this was the beginning of something that was so you know, epic, that this must be the, rev the, the uh, millennium. And yet, even within his own lifetime, he saw how the Reformation uh, did not turn out to be this utopian thing that he expected it to be. I mean, they had the peasant wars and they had all these different things that took place in the wake of the Reformation. Um, so, yeah, that's why, in my opinion, I think a lot of it's also based on Revelation. And I think the key verse there is Revelation 1.19 that shows that Revelation is a chronological book an unfolding of events, right? So it says the things that, write down the things that were, the things you have seen, the things that are currently, and the things that will be after these things. And so that is what we call a futurist view. So a view that takes Revelation as a, um, an unfolding of events would say that everything starting in Revelation chapter 4 is in the future. It has not happened yet. Because we know that John wrote the book of Revelation after um, the sacking of Rome. He wrote it from the island of Patmos, where he was around the year 90 AD. Remember, Jer Jerusalem was sacked in 70 AD. So here he is, and he's writing about events that are in the future, and he even calls it a prophecy. He says prophecy in, in chapter 1. So this is not a record, or it's not a recounting of what happened in the past. It's a prophecy about something that's going to happen in the future, and so everything from chapter 4 on is future. So that's, that view of Revelation, by the way, is called a futurist view of Revelation. When you say by future, do you mean uh, in the future from when John wrote it, 
going forward as an unfolding, as an unveiling? Or yes. are you talking about yes, you but said I yes. also okay. yes, but I also I also believe that those things have still not yet happened. All of them or just some of them? I think that John is making allusion to things which had already happened in his time. So, for example, when he talks about the number of the beast, I mean, that's clearly an allusion to Nero. But here's the thing. Nero was in the past for him. So what is he saying? I believe what he's saying is that it will be somebody who is like Nero, but is not Nero himself. It will be a, a new Nero, not actually like a reincarnation of Nero, but somebody who acts in the same way that Nero acted, but in a much greater way. If you look at the Neronic persecution of the Christians, it didn't actually last that long. It was severe, but it was short. And what's described in Revelation is somebody who's actually going to bring a prolonged and very severe persecution. So for all those reasons, I think that... Um, He's making reference to some things that have happened in the past, but generally he's talking about things which are to come, and I don't believe that they have happened yet. I think that we're still in the period of Revelation 2 and 3, which he says the things that are. That's the uh, age of the church, which is where we currently are. Hey, Rob, that music means I have to let you go because i got to close the show. But hey, thank you for your call. I love talking about this stuff. God bless you. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church. Join us in person or online this Sunday at the church I pastor, Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Find more information on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And I'll be with you again soon. God bless. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.